from the cutting edge studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another beautiful bouquet episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. We who toil in the soil do not live by tomatoes alone. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal the most fabulous flowers for cutting and bringing indoors. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, that's right. Potential guests are busy sowing sunflowers. So we will take that heap and help them. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and decidedly diversive deconstructions. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you have the best-looking vase on the block. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we do not live by tomatoes alone. We need pretty flowers to keep us happy indoors. And so in the question of the week, we are going to name the best flowers for cutting and bringing inside into your special, most special vase. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls. 888 492-9444. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carol. How are you doing? I'm just doing fine. And where is Carol doing fine? Outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, of course you're doing fine. It's a beautiful area there. <laughs> what Daffodils can... are blooming. Oh, God, please. My daffodils are <laughs> under like eight feet of ice. Don't do this. Don't be rude. <laughs> All right. Rub it in, Carol. Rub it in. Just, yeah, grind it down. All right. What can we do you for? Well, I have two questions. Uh, the first one is about tomatoes that I can grow in big pots here. Mm -hmm. Um that can stand the heat and the humidity, mm -hmm. and that are disease-resistant. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for one determinant and one indeterminate. Okay. And I would be really happy if any of those could be heirlooms. Okay. <clears throat> um, you will have no trouble finding heat-tolerant tomatoes in uh, catalogs like uh, Totally Tomatoes, Burpee, Seed Savers Exchange, um, places like that. There are varieties that have the word sun in their name. They tend to be yellow tomatoes. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, but these are tomatoes that have been proven um, to be heat resistant. And Heat resistance in your region is a smart way to go because once the temperature reaches close to 95 degrees, the pollen on the tomato plants will fry and you won't get any tomatoes from those flowers. 
although when it does cool down, new flowers will produce well. Um, since your daffodils are already up and blooming, as, as you've rubbed into me there, um, <laughs> I would also plant, seriously, I would also plant super early. So that... Yes, I, I'll plant in, in April, yeah. Yeah, so that you get the maximum amount of time outside of your hot season. Now, heirlooms are another story in that heirloom means a tomato that was once carried in the commercial seed trade, or was dropped from catalogs, but was preserved by home gardeners saving seed because they relished, so to speak, uh, the tomatoes so much. If I remember correctly, and those people who I went to college with who are still around are laughing insanely now, I believe Cherokee Purple is not only an heirloom, um, I believe it's indeterminate, but I believe it is also very heat resistant. So any tomato, Good. Can, any, can, any tomato can be grown in a container as long as the container is big enough. And that's a 17 inch pot, which means 17 yeah. inches high, 17 inches across the top, and filled with compost and, and good potting mix and only one yes. tomato per container, which may seem yes. wasteful, but you'll get more tomatoes that way. Yeah, that's I what I did last year, yeah. Yeah, and you found out you get more tomatoes from one plant in a big pot than you do from four tomatoes crushed together in the same pot. Sure, yeah. sure. They don't like having their roots wrap around each other. Um, Okay. I would suggest that the Seed Savers Exchange, which deals entirely in heirloom varieties, would be a good resource for information um, as to the most heat-resistant variety. Uh, Amy Goldman also wrote a book on heirloom tomatoes several years ago. She's affiliated with SSE. But she went to like Cornell's library and all these other places and she went through the catalogs from the late 1800s and early mm. 1900s so that she could actually be sure of the exact names of these tomatoes and what they were good for. You know, most people are asking about cold tolerant tomatoes, but you're, you're, abso oh, no. you're no. absolutely right to be looking for heat tolerant ones. But I will also tell you that despite the ambient temperature outside, say you're having a 96 degree day, uh, giving the plant some shade and some extra water in the middle of the day may temper the effects of the heat and that pollen may not fry. But at the very least, put them out early. Um, if they stop producing in the middle of summer, don't panic because the greenery will still grow. And then when temps cool off, you'll be picking through what? Late November? Easy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds excellent. That sounds very good. Okay. okay. And you had a follow-up? I have a follow uh, an additional question, which is quite different. I have a very large deck at the back of my house, 35 feet by 10 feet wide, mm -hmm. I guess. And I have dining, grilling, 
seating areas, and I have lots of pots with herbs and flowers. Mm -hmm. The problem is that if I take any food out there, the food and I are immediately covered by flies. Mm. And that means I can't grill and eat outside. I can't take a sandwich out for lunch and sit outside. Well, yes, you um, can. I, yes, you can. Well, what and do, the, the what answer do do? ties exactly into your climate. You remember those old church fans before air conditioning was reliable and you'd have to go to church even if it was 90 degrees out at 11 a.m.? And they had these big fans blowing around. That's mm -hmm. that's what you want. Um, really? Flies and mosquitoes, also in the fly family, are actually pretty poor flyers. And all you need is to establish a breeze pushing away from you um, to get them out of your hair, so to speak. Um, it's better oh. if the fans can oscillate and it's better the bigger they are, uh, but one fan will do a good job, two fans will do a great job, three fans, and people will be making reservations at your new outdoor restaurant. <laughs> there is also... That sounds like a great... Yes. There's also a plant that I haven't spoken about in ages, and I'm, I'm probably not going to come up with a scientific name because it's been too long. But it is called the shoe fly plant. And I believe it's kind of in the larger tomato family. But what happens when flies land on it and eat the pollen, they become sterile. And oh. it's, it's a fairly attractive plant. I've grown it many times. I know J.L. Hudson is one supplier. They made the plant really famous. But if you just search shoe fly plant on the internet, you'll find it, and it could be an extra resource. But um, big fans that blow lots of breezes will make you more comfortable and keep all those insects at bay. Well, that's a lot better and safer than what I was told at a small garden center, and that was spray and spray. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you spray, and you knock down like the first 20 seconds worth of flies, then they keep coming. And what's happening now, it's all dripping down your thumb and your hands and your finger, and you're not <laughs> feeling so good, but the flies keep coming. No, no, right, uh, right. You, there is no problem in gardening that there isn't a great organic solution for. Well, that's why I called you, because you would know it if anybody did. So I'm very pleased to hear your answers to both of my questions. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Eight 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 four nine two ninety four forty four. Brendan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. You're the first person to bring ducky alive today. Uh, you win a prize. I don't know. Go out and buy yourself some. <clears throat> so where are you, man? In Lewis, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Out by Lancaster Way? Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, what can we do you for? So as the snow melted out here in the last few weeks, I have found a weird serpentine pattern of flat, dead grass in my yard. 
So I couldn't decide what this was going to be from, mm-hmm. and I wanted to check with you. My first and last guess would be voles, V-O-L-E-S, not moles. Moles are underground creatures that are almost never seen above ground. Uh, they're blind. They got weird features, and they eat nothing but meat. They are teenage boys. They are carnivores, and they eat earthworms, beetle grubs, and especially this year, all the cicada larvae that are coming up from the ground in uh for brood X, the great eastern brood, when there'll be billions of cicadas to enliven our summertime nights, including where you and I live. Voles, V-O-L-E-S, are uh, pretty much above ground creatures. They do some hiding below ground, but not a ton, and they eat pure plant material. They are total vegetarians. They're like young ladies in the first year of college. You couldn't get them to eat a hot dog. So they often, they love to feed on spring bulbs underground. They love to feed on the roots of hostas and similar plants. And one way you can tell pretty much for sure is exactly what you've described. They make these kind of traffic lanes in lawns. um, And they tend to go over the same area again and again, flattening it out. So what do we do about voles? One thing we can do is go out and get uh, castor oil um, branded as a mole and vole repellent. It could come in pelletized form. It could come in liquid form. Look for the highest concentration of the active ingredient, which is castor oil, and spread that over the area as soon as you can. So every time it rains or other moisture comes around, it releases that scent down into the ground and they can't stand it. So you may be able to knock their numbers down that way. You can also use regular old mouse traps, but you have to be careful that you don't hurt birds. So what I suggest is you get some shoe boxes and cut those Mickey Mouse size holes out of the bottom of the shoe box so the voles can come and go, but no birds can get there. And then put a couple of just basic mouse traps inside uh, baited with peanut butter. Uh, they will love this. They'll go inside. They'll get the peanut butter. You'll get bored with getting rid of dead voles uh, because they are the uh, most fecund uh, creature out there. They breed more rapidly, I believe, than any other mammal in North America. So that's why I'm saying you really want to get on top of this right away. And are you in a rural part of Lilith's? Uh, semi-rural. Okay. I have a farm within a quarter mile. Okay. Okay, good. Well, if if, if you don't mind, um, and, you know, kind of, I guess the season to do this is coming to an end because it's easier to get away with this during Lent, is put up a crossbar over the most affected area. Um, just a, a good, solid piece of wood about six feet off the ground. Um Two is better than one, three is the best. And you may not see anything happening right away, but owls will use those perches and they'll sit there all night long and they will gorge themselves on the voles, which tend to come out at night. Uh, Owls are the largest predator of voles. And sometimes an owl's diet is completely made up of voles. 
and you'll know it's happening because you'll stop seeing the signs of the voles around, but you'll also find what are called owl pellets at the base of the cross beams. And this is what was left after it came through the owl. And you could find enormous numbers. I did this at my local church when they were having vole problems. And um, we were able to get away with it during Lent because that you know we could just put them up in a certain spot, the crosses, and they were well used. But um, cross beams, believe it or not, these perches are one of the most secure ways of greatly reducing um, the population of voles. Oh, I like that option the best, but I can do all three. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad idea because you want to you want to knock them down before they start in uh, in the real serious breeding uh, time. Very good, Mike. I really appreciate your help. All right. My pleasure. You take care and good luck to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and actually insert the seeds into this year's tomato seeding adventure. I've got saturated potting soil, heating mats, and saran wrap at the ready for the varieties I have chosen for this season. But don't go slavering over your Solanaceae to be just yet, because we'll be right back with the best flowers for cutting and more of your cutting phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in good old Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, coming up later in the show, a different type of topic. Not about tomatoes or pests or anything. We're going to go pretty on you and talk about the best flowers to grow for long-stemmed enjoyment in a vase inside. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Pat, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Pat. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm just Ducky. Thanks for asking. Ducky always but it's likes... Not Ducky is actually outperforming me in the Q ratings for this show, so I'm not sure where to go with that. <laughs> And where is Pat doing well? Uh, we are located uh, right next to Sorrenti's Vineyard in Sailorsburg. They're our neighbor. Mm-hmm. PA, Pennsylvania. Northeast Pennsylvania, yes. Yeah, okay. All right. What can we do, uh, what can we do for Pat and PA? Okay, Mike, just a, a two-part question. Uh, last summer was the most invasive uh, bunch of lanternflies. And they gave me a lot of anxiety. And I wanted to ask, uh, 
do they come here because of the area? If there's ponds down the road, do they come? Are they attracted to certain trees? Well, let me stop you right there because I know what's going on as, as opposed to most of the phone calls that come into this show. Um, are you a part of the vineyard or are you adjacent to it? No, we're uh, about 300 yards away. Yeah, not far enough. Um, one of the things we have learned about these creatures that are still confined to a relatively small area in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and a few other places is that their primary host plant is the, quote, tree of heaven, Elianthus, which is a weed tree. But more and more, as I talk to people who are losing real plants, so to speak, grapevines are number two. So have you spoken to the people who own and run the vineyard? Because I expect they had a nasty experience last year. Well, I didn't, but I will. Uh, the only thing is, when we moved here in 93, they had quite a bit of vineyards. But I don't see many vineyards anymore. But I will speak to them. Yeah, um, many people who grow grapes, whether for fresh eating or for wine, um, are just giving up. The damage is too severe. Now, what did they do to you? Who, the lanternfly? Yeah, not the vineyard owners. I'm not, you know. <laughs> no, the lanternfly, um, the year before last summer, we had like two. Mm -hmm. And so this past summer, 2020, they just were uh, very pervasive. Um, I mean, I don't think they bother anybody. It's just that they hang all over our uh Pampa grass, they just hang on everything. Huh. And I'm constantly swatting, but I don't know, like, what to use to get rid of them. They say they have these bags, like uh, beetle bags that you can put out. Uh, short of putting a uh, screen netting across my whole deck. So they come up on your deck is the problem. Oh, yeah, they hang around the eaves, the fascia of the house. Uh, they hang on my ferns. Oh. This is unusual. Most of the time, lantern flies um, are attracted to large woody plants. I mean, they will cross over from Alianthus to hang out on maple trees and things like that. And again, grapevines, once they're established, are extraordinarily woody. I've not heard of them um, hanging out in non-plant places or in things like grasses. But I think this should be easy. Um, we'll start with water, which is the best pesticide. So the first response I would have when they first start showing up, have you seen the nymphs, the crazy little cartoon characters that look like dice on legs? No. So you just see the adults when they show up. Correct. Okay. So I would be ready to hit the adults with um, pressurized streams of water, whether that's from a handheld canister if they're in an out-of-the-way place or your own water supply with uh, a, a nozzle that's adaptable set to laser, you know, and just knock them okay. down. Believe it or not, that gets rid of most of them. If... and 
if they become pervasive, what I would recommend in the summertime would be a light horticultural oil that's sourced from vegetable oils as opposed to dormant oil, um, which is used in the winter. But I think if you just sprayed the suckers off, um, number one, you would reduce their numbers dramatically, and number two, you would get intense emotional satisfaction. Yeah, I need that. Uh, here's, the, here's the odd part. Um, there is some clear caulking at the top of the front porch, and when we come home from a trip, a day out, they're all collected up there. I mean, maybe 50, 100 of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's something in that caulking that is related to something in their environment that they like, like a sap or a sticky mm. situation. But, yeah, that's where they hang up at that connection. They are uh, plant hoppers, they, which means that they are sap suckers. And there may be something oh. in that concoction that appeals to them. But what they're doing is lining right. up for you. So you get that hose, you get that backpack sprayer. And where are you from originally? Martin's Creek. Okay, so you've never been a city girl. No, I hate the city. Oh, okay. But for instance, in Philadelphia, as we sprayed them to death with sharp streams of water, we would taunt them. Oh, you picked the wrong house to hang out in our caulking, didn't you? Oh, that looks like it. Oh, that's going to leave a mark. Oh, so, you know, maybe you can practice this. It adds to the okay. enjoyment. Trust me. Okay. And my second part of my question is uh, when we moved here, like 1995, we planted about 50 evergreens, mm-hmm. uh, blue spruce, uh, you know, uh, now, we put those stakes that you can buy at the Lowe's uh, around the perimeter in the ground, and we notice that slowly the bottom part of these trees are dying off. Are they too old? Do are they you need talking about, Are you talking about a plant food in the form of a stake? Yes. Yeah, stop doing it. Okay. Stop doing it. Never do it again. Replace it with compost. And with any luck, the browning will stop. And you may have to remove the lower branches to make it look nice. But these chemical fertilizers are death to plants. Okay. The only thing you should be buying in Lowe's is batteries and light bulbs. Okay, Mike. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you so much. And good luck to you. Tim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Thank you for having me. And I want to thank you and the community of listeners for uh, giving me uh, such uh, entertainment this past year in particular. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we really tried to drop back to the basics and uh, we're determined to help the hundreds of thousands of people who were gardening 
for the first time. So uh, thank you for your thank you. Uh, where are you, man? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I am in uh, western Monmouth County, uh, a section called Cream Ridge, New Jersey. Okay, Cream Ridge. Boy, that makes me think of ice cream. So <laughs> Yes, it's uh, known for its beautiful pastures. It once was a uh, haven for dairies. Uh, we're probably 10 miles outside of Trenton. Um, however, now it's mostly uh, racing industry, horses, uh, oh. in between Philly and the Meadowlands. Oh, I think I know exactly where you mean. Um, some of those horses are just stone-cold beautiful. Yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful area, and I encourage everyone to uh, to get out here. But uh, along with that beautiful pasture, of course, is beautiful clay to support it all. So that's what I uh, uh, face every time I go out to the garden, and I thank you for all your guidance over the years mm -hmm. uh, in helping me. So uh, is that what you want to discuss today? Actually, what I wanted to discuss today was a bagworm issue, um, oh. uh, if you uh, will. Yes, exactly. Arborvitae so, uh, or juniper? Many so what I believe it is, um, I'm actually in a house that is the old Princeton Tree Nursery property um, mm -hmm. from back in the day. And there are tons of hedgerows around. Uh, so this one could be, uh, actually, it could be older than I am. So I, I think it looks a lot like a, what is the modern sort of green giant arborvitae. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very tall. Some are 30, pushing 30 feet. Wow. Um, and uh, so I don't know if those, yeah, I don't know if those varieties were around back then per se. Um, but that in particular, and then I have a few other blue spruce around the property mm -hmm. um, that have been attacked by bagworms. And I've honestly grown up in New Jersey, have never seen them before. Um, and someone that brought to my attention was uh, a, a rep from a national tree company mm -hmm. um, who I called in for some other work. And he actually uh, asked me if I had any. Uh, I guess he knew the sales pitch by then for this area in particular. Mm -hmm. um, he said they're sort of common in this area. So um, I'm at a loss. I uh, will happily uh, put in some more work if it means not using chemicals. Right. Um, however, some of these, of course, I can't reach. Right. And uh, I'm losing a very big and beautiful hedgerow, specifically the one um, between my neighbor's house and our own property. Well, of course. Um, so I was wondering if you had any advice for me. Yeah. Okay. So bagworms are uh, a pretty brutal pest. They are caterpillars, but they live inside, and you'll, you'll tell me if you agree or not, they live inside what looks for all the world to see in a pine cone. It looks like it actually belongs on the tree or plant. So they often go unnoticed early on until parts of the plant uh, start going missing. So the first thing you want to do is physically remove any of these little pine cones, the quote bags that you can find and trash them or burn them or whatever. But you want to make sure you prune past where the bag is attached to the branch. Uh, because the uh, okay. the cement naturally occurring that they use to secure themselves to the branches is such a, so, uh, you know, just impossibly hard and tough that it, it'll, it'll eventually kill the branch just from being uh, positioned so tightly. So, and I know that you oh, can't... Oh, interesting. Yeah, you can't get, uh, obviously, you can't get all of them but you can get a pressure mm -hmm. sprayer and talk to the okay. local extension office in your area to get their best estimate of the time they emerge 
from the bags. That's the only time that they are attackable. Because uh, unless your yeah. tree guy was going to use a systemic poison, there's really no way to get to them. And once they're in the bags, yeah. actually, I don't believe they're feeding anymore. So not even a systemic would work. But you want to get... Yeah, I believe you're correct. And he did say, yeah, he did say to wait for them to come out in May or June, I guess. Yes. So what you want to do is be ready with BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, you don't have to remember mm -hmm. that part. All you got to tell people is BT, the organic caterpillar killer. And it's been sure. around for over 50 years, very effective. And as soon as the emergence starts, you should be out there with your pressure sprayer hitting every part of those affected plants, especially the parts that are uh, already losing greenery because that's where they're feeding the most. And do yeah. that, I mean, you can do that once a week. There's no effect on wildlife. It doesn't harm fish, birds, fowl. Uh, well, birds are fowl. Well, some of them are kind of nice. <laughs> um, toads, frogs, anything like that. It only kills caterpillars that are actively feeding on sprayed leaves. Doesn't even harm butterflies and no harm okay. to bees or people. For the BT, I am familiar. Um, is there any specific type? I know you've been talking about them in recent years as they're doing more of this great science uh, for us organic gardeners. Is there a specific type I should look for um, or anything like that or just go for the, uh, the BT that we find in most of our independent sort of garden centers? Uh, exactly right. You don't want to confuse it with BTI which is used to control okay. um, the larvae of mosquitoes, preventing them from breeding okay. in standing water, or any of the other BTs, like the BTG, that has just come out for use against Japanese beetles. Just the old okay. form of BT. If you want to get deep into the label, it'll say BT Korstaki, with a K, strain. And that's the original form of BT, and that's, you know, it's one of our most effective ways to fight caterpillar problems without any kind of toxins. All right, very good. Well, uh, I guess then come summer, I'll have my better half holding the bottom of the ladder um, as I'm up toward the top. Well, and also, the, um, I'm serious about the pressure sprayer. You should be able to get to the top of the trees if you make a BT solution and put it in. Okay. Okay, and use like the pressure washer. Okay, yeah, then then you're right. I should be able to get it up there, and hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully you don't want to work. And I, uh, I thank you. Yeah, oh. you don't want to fall down and break open your pumpkin head. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> yeah, after surviving this year. Yeah, why, why then? Okay, perfect. All right, well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Good luck, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone starting their tomato seeds right about now that you need the same kinds of containers they use in garden centers, a bagged organic potting soil, and saran wrap to pull over top and keep the moisture in those containers. Just be sure to remove the wrap after the first sprouts appear. But don't go checking up on your Cherokee purples just yet because we'll be right back with the best flowers for cutting and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're watching and or listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in good old Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will define, describe, name, and otherwise indict the best flowers to grow for you to have indoor flowers in your vases all summer long. Man does not live by tomatoes alone, after all. And it's all coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Robin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Robin. How you doing? Wonderful. And where is Robin wonderful? In northeast Texas, zone 8A. Okay, uh, a, a city? Texarkana. Texas. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I've been there. Um, what happened with you in the ice and snowstorm? Did you get hit? Did you get spared? Oh, we were hit, and um, it got to zero, oh. which mm, very, uh, never happens. Uh, it's the coldest that it's been since I've lived here for 30 years, and it um, was below freezing for better part of a week. And um, I'm sad, and all my plants are sad because it zapped my gardenias and of my jasmine and my <laughs> my pompous grass and my variegated pittosporum, which are my favorite plants. How about the and, um, plumbing in your I house? Come on. Well, we had one small leak on an outside spigot, and that's it. We, oh, we boy, were, are you lucky. We were lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how sorry I feel, honestly, um, for you folks. I can't remember the last time it hit zero here in the Lehigh Valley, you know, kind of in the foothills of the Poconos. I mean, that's what we're supposed to endure once or twice a winter. But, you know, I know Texarkana, no way anybody was prepared for anything <laughs> like this. No. All right. No, so it was... So what do you want? Uh, do you want to move up to Pennsylvania to, for the climate? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get the mild winters up yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, what can we do I, I'm going to stick it out here. But well, I want to know um, what do I need to do specifically for those? Those are the four worst victims. Um, they're brown. Some of them are all brown, mm -hmm. and some of them have some green below, That's like where the sign. snow level was, they're still green, yeah. yeah. I have scraped back, and there's green on the bark underneath the skin on some of them. Uh -huh. And I, I want to know, um, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't pruned anything yet, Good. because I, I've, I've, what I have read says don't, don't touch anything. So do I need to just maybe get some fish emulsion, and in about another couple weeks when I know it's not going to get cold again, gently fertilize, and then trim after they start to bud out and I see what's going to live or do I, what do I do? What do What's, I do for my babies? I'm uh, so sad. So fish emulsion is a fertilizer you use regularly? Only when they seem to need it. Um, do you know what, I, do you know what you brand? Know, uh, 
you use? No, I don't. I I I don't. Whatever 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 says organic, and I don't remember. But, okay. Um, because usually usually my stuff does okay without a whole lot of extra. Okay. Yeah. And then um, fish emulsion alone can be a little bit dicey, especially one okay. brand that is named after a state that is not contiguous okay. to the U.S. Um, and it, it just, because of the processing, it has way too much chlorine in it. And I don't think uh -huh. it's good for plants. There are other brands out there that are mixtures of seaweed and fish emulsion. And they tend to work much better. Now, um, just as you, as you have found, the advice you've been given is correct. Leave it alone. Don't pick at it. It'll make it worse. And then okay. wait till we warm up and don't do anything for a month until you, after you okay. see new green growth appear. And then when you see new green growth appear, see where it's appearing, see what is staying brown. And then as the weather warms up with hand pruners, you can gently go out and prune off the bad stuff and leave behind anything that is green. And you don't really have to worry too much about pruning way too much because you're not gonna prune into anything that looks like it's gonna be really good. And the pruning itself will stimulate new growth. Again, as long as all oh. chance of cold weather is done. Yeah, pruning can actually, is mostly used in Europe to increase the height of plants, not to reduce them. So hmm. do that, and then um, after the pruning, yes, a dilute solution of worm castings or compost tea or fish and seaweed mix, that would be perfectly appropriate. Okay. And, and be aware that Very it good. may take a couple of seasons for you to get the shapes back. Um, but okay. it, it sounds like your plants have probably survived thanks to the energy in the root systems. So don't go at them too quickly. When you go at them, know what you're doing and then gently feed. That's what we will do. All right. And thank you. And good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. Well, it is inevitable. It is time for the question of the week, which we're calling the best flowers for cutting. Anne writes, I've recently fallen in love with having cut flowers in the house. I've also recently moved to southeast Wisconsin and I'm learning how to garden in a new climate. I was wondering if Mike could give me some suggestions for good flowers to plant this spring that will produce nice colorful bouquets for the house in summer. I was hoping for suggestions that would keep producing flowers without replanting, though I'd love any types you think might be best. I'm a completely enthusiastic, but average gardener. Now, when we say Southeast Wisconsin, we're talking Milwaukee in the bullseye, with Racine and Kenosha down at the bottom and Chicago not too far south all of which are on the lovely shores of Lake Michigan, where the winds are felt to be legendary. 
Having tried to walk forward through many gales in many places, I'll call Chicago the lesser windy city. Compared to Oklahoma City, where I once did a credible Dorothy imitation, but without the cyclone. Oi! Yes, this is a digression, but is also a warning to gardeners in these areas that winter wind will try and kill you personally, while in the other seasons it will simply try and make your plants fall down, go boom. So think about windbreaks. Think about them a lot. Back to this week's exciting feature. I cut a lot of spring bulbs like daffodils and tulips to bring indoors early in the season, but I learned years ago that you can't mix and match them in the vase. Daffodils must be vased alone, or they will shorten the life of the other cuttings involved. And while spring bulbs do only bloom once a season, daffodils especially are reliable rebloomers. Tulips, eh, not so much. But the basic red ones are your best bet. I have a clump of basic red tulips that is rebloomed reliably for over 40 years. And that's more than I can say for myself. The other flowers I personally cut for indoor use are my roses. They all promise at least one big flush for cutting, and many roses will rebloom reliably throughout the season, even ones designated as one-timers. Just be sure to cut new flowers promptly and deadhead the faded ones. Seed supplier and longtime flower lover Renee Shepard of Renee's Garden agrees with me about those early flowers. Of course you start the season with bulbs like daffodils and tulips, she notes. For annual flowers from seed, go with zinnias and cosmos in different forms and colors as well as in mixes. Also, coreopsis, snapdragons, clarkia, and tithonia. One good perennial that she should be able to grow easily would be echinacea. It was then that I realized that a cut flower growing professional lives about four miles from my house. Melanie DeVault, who together with husband George and son Don, the king of kombucha, run Pheasant Hill Farm in Veracruz, PA. Melanie has been selling cut flowers at farmer's markets for more years than I am allowed to reveal, and also crafts seasonal bouquets and wedding flowers. Sunflowers was her first choice, and I couldn't agree more. I'm always drawn to them when they're on display at florists and even at supermarkets. They're easy to grow, she notes, adding that for indoor display, you want to stick with the pollen-free varieties. She adds that there's even a branded collection of sunflowers called the ProCut series, whose varieties are chosen for maximum cut flower impact. Sunflowers are ready to cut from planted seed in just 50 to 60 days, and you can plant them really close as tight as four inches apart if you want to keep them at a nice bouquet size. Plant a new run every three weeks and you'll never run out. I'll add that sunflowers come in a dizzying array of different heights, colors, and combinations of colors. So go for it. Melanie adds that there's also a series of zinnia varieties that are perfect for cutting, collectively called Beamy's Giant, that's B-E-A-M-Y, 
and their repeat bloomers if cut regularly and or deadheaded. Direct seed them in spring, and they'll persist until fall. Tithonia, Mexican sunflower, is also a great choice. Keep them cut, and they'll rebloom like mad. And finally, Liatris is tall, dramatic, and long-lasting in the vase. Speaking of the vase, Melanie says it should be as clean as a teacup. The flower stems should be stripped bare of anything other than the actual flowers, and they should be cleaned under running water to keep dirt out of the picture. Change the water daily, or as often as you can, and recut the stem every time the plants go into new water. Don't expose your bouquets to direct sun. In fact, the cooler the room, the longer those cut flowers will last. Picking. Obviously, you want to pick just as the flowers are hitting their peak, but Melanie adds that they should also pass the wiggle test. The stem has to be firm and upright, she stresses. If it wiggles, wait. Also, pick early in the morning or in the evening, never in the heat of the day, or the flowers just won't last. Place them in water right away when you cut them. Bring them inside into your workspace. Strip off everything below the flowers, rinse the stems well, cut another inch off the bottoms, and then drop them immediately into that clean vase filled with clean water, no city tap water. Well, that sure was some interesting information about having a great cutting garden now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to sabotage my sunflowers if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time. But you can contact us anytime at, at, well, the new phone number doesn't work either. I guess we just don't pay our bills. So send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location and perhaps recommend a phone company that actually works. You'll find all of this contact information and maybe even our new phone number at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our internationally adored podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Professor Challenger discovered the lost world on an ancient plateau and didn't notice the hitchhiker in the brontosaurus cage when he brought his specimens back home. 
Ken Queter plays our theme music. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is cheerful, cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of directorial direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins, now she takes our temperature at the door. Having recently been turned down for the starring role in Son of Swenguli, Zach Dattakwisneski is back in the house, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, and many more, too expensive to mention. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, apologizes, but insists that he can't host any more Zoom meetings with his staff until his driveway gets plowed. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, still digging out from under my snow, hoping that my garlic still looks good, and worrying about how I'll be able to plant my peas on St. Patrick's Day. But raise a glass of green beer, wish me luck, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. cicadas are coming. The cicadas are coming. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss the upcoming emergence of the billions of bugs in Brood X, whose soothing sounds will liven up our summer nights. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.